Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Pleasure to be speaking to you once again. If you're watching this in the Shoreham site, Villa site, Oasis site, Clarendon Centre, or watching this online, we are journeying through the New Testament book of Philippians. And uh, you've just heard the passage that we're looking at today, and it begins with the word finally. I have to say it's a bit of a preacher's finally, because there's still a bit, <laughs> quite a bit to go in the series. This is the eighth of 11 messages we'll do. But uh, it begins with talking about the theme, really, of the whole series. This series is called Joy Has a Name, talking about our joy in the person of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter, begins on that note again. Rejoice in the Lord. But then what happens next is a little bit more surprising because he seems to launch into this rant <laughs> calling people dogs and evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. And that, it seems quite bizarre. I mean, like, what is going on here? And so we're going to dive into it today and it's going to take a little bit of explaining. But as a big headline to begin, Paul is speaking to this church in Philippi about their joy in Christ. That's what the whole letter has been about. He wants them to have joy. And we're doing this series because we want you to have joy. What would make us cross, therefore, like Paul is cross, is if someone came in who is trying to rob that joy from you, taking it away. And that's exactly who the Apostle Paul has in mind here. So let's, let's give a little bit of context to this. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul was someone who he made it his life's work to share the good news of Jesus, the fact that Jesus has come who he has lived a perfect life he's died on the cross for sin he's risen again to give new life anyone who believes in him will know the forgiveness of sins and life eternal with God that's a positive grace-filled love of God saturated good news and the apostle Paul is traveling around with other apostles sharing this message about Jesus and everywhere people believed the message and trusted in Jesus 
they would become Christians and small bands of Christians came together in various places and became churches and elders and leaders were appointed. And that was Paul's ministry. That's what he was doing, seeing churches established. But there was opposition. There was opposition to that. We know there's physical opposition because Paul is writing this letter from prison. But there was also more subtle forms of opposition as well. And that's what is being referred to here. Everywhere the Apostle Paul went and established churches, there were certain Jewish people who would come along and say, actually, you Christians, if you want to be really spiritual, we know you've heard about this Jesus, but if you really want to know our God, you need to do the things that we do. And the whole of the sort of Old Testament law and part of that was circumcision to be circumcised and say, no, you need to do this as well. And Paul's saying, no, no, that's not right. And so Paul here, he's referring and saying, you're dogs. Now, that is an insult. He's insulting them. But it's not a random insult. It's specific. And again, it takes a little bit of explaining. As I've said, these Jewish people were coming in to these churches and misleading people and teaching people things that are not the gospel. But that was because if you read the Old Testament of the Bible, the Old Testament is a story of God's people. And a key part of that is how God gave the law through Moses to his people. Now, the law was for their blessing, to help them know how to worship God and how to live. But by the time of the New Testament, and if you read the gospel accounts of Jesus, there were religious, Jewish religious leaders that had taken this law and instead of using it to honour and worship God, they'd used it as a, a badge of pride, an excuse to look down on other people who weren't the special people of God. And that's what religion had become in that context. And they would look down on others and say, they're dogs, they're scum. And so Paul, what Paul's doing here is flipping that around, saying, no, no, you're, you're the dogs here. And he's actually taking after the words of Jesus as well, because Jesus had his most scathing and harsh words to the religiously, the Pharisees, Sadducees of the time, who, who actually stopped people knowing God because they were burdening them, them with the heaviness of the law by making it about human effort rather than pointing people to God. That's the dynamic that's going on here. And that's why uh, the, he, the Apostle Paul also refers to mutilators of the flesh. And it's like, what is this about? And it's about circumcision, which is weird to us. For some reason, I seem to always stumble on the verses and have to preach the messages that talk about circumcision. We had that when we talked about the Genesis series. So if you want more detail on that, go back to that <laughs> series. Uh, but headline, a badge, a symbol, part of being part of God's people, this was the way that they were to be set apart as God's people. And, and as I say, these Jewish people were coming into these churches and saying, well, no, if you want to be really spiritual, you need to act like we acted before and do the things that God told us before. Now, if someone came into this church, our context, and said, well, look, if you want to be really spiritual, you need to be circumcised. I think probably on a very basic level, many of us would have an issue with that. But, but actually, the spiritual implications are actually even worse. Let me unpack that a little bit. The fundamental question, when we think about matters of faith, 
how do you know you're right with God? How do you know that God is going to accept you into eternity? How do you know that you can receive God's love? Now, one answer might be, well, if we do the right things, if we be obedient to God's word, then he'll be happy to us. And we can interpret the answer to that in terms of religious behavior. And that would make sense to us even now. Some people operate in that way. Well, if God's real and if I'm a good person, he'll accept me and that's the way to live. Now, this other way of thinking, well, if we have these certain badges, if we have this certain family line, if we're set apart as this people in this certain way, then God will accept us. That was kind of what this circumcision deal was about. But hopefully, if you've been in this church for more than five minutes, you will know that is not the gospel message. That is not what we want to teach you and tell you, not what the message of the Bible is. And we bang on about it every week, hopefully we do. That it's not about our obedience, it's not about our holiness, it's not about our good deeds, it's not about our family line and the fact that we, our parents are Christians or whatever. It's not about how we feel that makes us right with God. It's about Jesus. It's his work, his life, his death, his resurrection, his grace towards us, his righteousness as a gift, his forgiveness that he's won on our behalf, the fact that he has taken our sin and shame shame and made us right before the Father. And we trust in him a lot. And we sing songs about that. In Christ alone, my hope is found. We, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. We sing about it because that is what is at the heart of the gospel, that we trust our lives to Jesus. It's about him. And so... If anyone turns up here in this church and starts telling you and saying, well, you've heard about this Jesus, but if you really want to be spiritual, you've got to trust this and you've got to do this and you've got to do... Well, if they do that, take a leaf out of Paul's book, call them a dog. (laughs) Tell them to get out of here because that is not just wrong, it's actually evil. If it's taking us away from Christ, it's actually evil because anything plus the gospel isn't the gospel anymore let me make a silly illustration to maybe hopefully make this more clear imagine imagine you're skydiving okay not something I've done not something I will ever do not my bag anyway you're there imagine and you're in the plane up in the air parachute on you're ready to jump out of the plane Now imagine there's other people in the plane with you and one of them looking wise and experienced and he says to you, oh oh, yeah, see you've got that uh, parachute there. Oh yeah, fair enough, okay. But what you really need is one of these pillows. I've got some pillows here and you're interested in having one of these pillows. You know, that's, that's that's what you really need. Now if you're wise and if you're sensible, you'll hear what he's saying and think, no thanks, (laughs) no thanks. I'm about to jump out of a plane from 10,000 feet, soon I'll be hurtling at 120 miles an hour towards the ground. Either this parachute is going to save me or it's not. <laughs> if it doesn't, a pillow's not really going to help. It's not going to cushion the landing. It doesn't make any difference. There's no point in trusting in that. No point in looking to that. No thank you. But can you imagine if other people in the plane, they start listening to this guy. He wants to give them 
pillows instead. And maybe, oh, maybe I'll take a pillow just in case. I'll, I'll, you know, hedge my bets. And then maybe someone else says, oh, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's done this before. I'll take one of your pillows, thanks. Can you imagine if they start, to, he's about, they're about to jump out the plane, they start taking off their parachute in order to take hold of a pillow. That's not just silly. It's not just annoying. That's not just wrong. That's tragic. Trusting something that's not going to save you. That's why Paul is animated <laughs> in this passage. That's why he's speaking so passionately because he wants these Philippians to just be resting solely on the one, Christ, who has and will save them and put all their confidence in him. And so when these other people infiltrate these churches and start to drag people and say, oh, if you want to be really, we've been around longer than you. We know a bit more than you. You need to trust in the circumcision. You need to trust in obeying the Sabbath laws and that sort of thing. It's not just wrong and a bit annoying, oh, they're here again. No, it's the thought that someone might be swayed away from Christ into religious behavior, to start trusting religious works to be right with God. That's dangerous. That's tragic. That's evil, in fact. And that's what religion does. It, Paul's heart for the Philippians is that they, well, the whole letter's been about it, that they would enjoy Jesus. They would know peace in knowing what Jesus has done for them in their relationship and be so focused on that, not focused on their own efforts and uh, achievements. The freedom, the grace, the love, the faithfulness that comes to them as a gift through Christ. You see, religion is, is where we try to earn our way up to God. It's a heavy burden that gets placed on people. And we can, oh, can I climb up with this heavy burden trying to get to God? That's not the gospel. The gospel is God came down to us to lift us up, to show us his love, to be our joy and be our peace. That is what Christ has done. And so this is why Paul's harshest statement here, and in fact his harshest letter, the letter of Galatians, is another New Testament letter, and he's speaking to, directly to this issue. He's like, no, this is awful. Religion is poisonous. Religion is dangerous. Religion, man-made, human-focused religion takes us away from the source of our joy and peace and eternity in Christ. And perhaps as I bash religion in this way, this is, a kind of, this is a message, I suppose, that many in our city can get on board with. Religion, it's a, it's a bad thing. It's a heavy burden that's put on people, that controls people, and we don't like it. You know, about 15 years ago, there's a book came out by Christopher Hitchens. And I tell you, I love the, um, the way, the title of it in the American uh, edition. The British one was uh, not quite so overt, but uh, he really nailed his colors to the mast uh, with the American title. Because it released there, his book was called God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. <laughs> it's like, all right, Chris, tell us what you really think. And in that book, his, 
is all about how organized religion, well, probably, you know, Christianity, Islam, brings out the worst in people. And he goes on about how religious people, well, they're the most bigoted people, closed-minded, irrational people, intolerant, ignorant, and they suppress independent, free thinking. It brings out the worst in people. Now, remember, this, this, the context of this book is sort of 2000s. You know, 9-11 uh, was at the beginning of that decade. And so the book sold well because that really tapped into a, certainly a Western mindset that actually organized religion is just the source of so much evil and destruction in the world that we need to move, as a society, move beyond that, move away from that to a, to a free-thinking, tolerant society that leaves religion in the past, and many people embraced this idea, and the book sold well, and, you know, there you go. It's interesting to think about what's happened in the time since then. As I say, it was about 15 years ago, and if you take, you know, our society, Britain, for example, certainly would be the case that, yes, the, the influence of religion uh, is definitely waning. You know, church attendance generally is in decline. Uh, more and more people are secular. Certainly younger generations much less likely to be in engaged with church or religious activity of any sort. So in many respects, what Christopher Hitchens was talking about is, is, is happening. We're, as a society, moving away from organized religion. So that's, that's happening. And, well, you know, now that we've moved away from religion and the bigotedness and the intolerant and, and all that sort of stuff, everyone's just super chill now, aren't they? <laughs> like, n no one's small-minded anymore. We're all free-thinking individuals and uh, really tolerant. No one's stuck in their views. That's, everyone's just super, super chill now, <laughs> aren't they? You know, we, we, don't have, we don't have an echo chamber of popular opinion, do we? We don't have people claiming that they're on the right side of history and everyone else is wrong. That, that doesn't happen these days, does it? You know, and social media, I mean, that's been a great window into how just accepting and loving society is. You know, now we've moved away from organized religion. That was the problem with society and, you know, social media. Now, one secular person will post their opinion uh, online, and then another secular opinion, a secular person will post their opposing opinion. And then the first person will say, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your opinion. You, you really broadened my horizons and helped me to see that there's different ways of thinking about the world. I mean, that happens all the time on social media, doesn't it? Of course, they don't start a flame war and start insulting each other personally. That, that doesn't happen. That was what religious people would do. No one's like that anymore. No one's stuck in their narrow ways of thinking anymore, are they? We're all reasonable and rational people, you know. And there's no, there's no extreme behavior anymore. There's no fundamentalist people anymore. It's not like, it's not like people are out there you know, super gluing themselves to the road and stopping the traffic because they want to enforce their views on everyone else. I mean, that, does, that doesn't happen, does it? Uh, new forms of religion <laughs> have popped up all around us. I mean, just take, you know, just stop all. I mean, it's, it's funny. I would, just, I would love to be in their in the planning, the planning meetings. You know, because they're just throwing paint at things and, and sticking themselves to stuff. I mean, does, does, it, does any idea get rejected? 
You know, someone's like, oh, I, I want to stick my, print stick myself to the tube, because it's all based in London, it seems. That's, that's the place to do it. And you're like, yes, you go ahead and do that. And another person's like, oh, I'm going to attach myself to the London Eye with elastic bands. Yes, you do that. I mean, do they reject any ideas? One person says, I'm going to attach myself to Big Ben with a huge amount of Velcro. Great idea. <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's a new religion. One, we get rid of one form of religion, a new religion, a new set of ways of thinking. We, we, we're right, everyone else is wrong. And you and I, we're exactly the same, aren't we? Sorry, what? <laughs> no, 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 we, we are not, we're not religious fanatics, are we? You know, we, we wouldn't do these extreme things that other people are doing. We, you and I, we're, we're reasonable people. Aren't we? We're not prone to this religious behavior. I mean, we read a passage like this from the Bible and think these Judaizers and they're trying to convince people in these religious ways of thinking. And we think, oh, well, we would never get conned with that, would we? We're, we're smarter than that. We never get enslaved to religious ways of thinking. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, you do. Even as Christians, we lose track of Jesus, we lose sight of him, and we get prone to religious ways of thinking about life and even religious behaviours. Let me explain to you why. I mean, consider, consider, let's just take the Just Stop Oil protest as an example. You know, it's a, they're an easy target for me to have a little joke about. I've, I've actually got quite a lot of sympathy, but that's another preach. <laughs> Probably not. But, um, but think, consider them. Why... Why do they, why do people that do that? Have you actually ever stopped to think, why are they doing that? Why are people super gluing themselves to the street? It's because what is in their mind to think, I want my life to count for something. I want to do something with my life. And they've attached that to well, this idea that we've, we've got, there's a huge crisis going on and we need to do something about it. We need to get people's attention and so that is the way that my life is going to have purpose and meaning. If I can change people's opinion a little bit, if I can just do my bit, then, it, then my life has some sense of meaning and purpose. You know, we all do that. Now, maybe you don't get involved with civil disobedience, but we all have that inclination, that desire in our heart for our lives to mean something. No one just stumbles through life as if nothing really matters. We want our lives to be meaningful and have some sense of direction and purpose, even if it's just a small way. And maybe the ways that we think about that is much more subtle than is something extreme. But there will be something for you. What are you giving your life to? Now it could be, well, I want to succeed in this area. I, I want to, you know, climb this ladder. I want people to recognize my contribution to the world. Maybe you want to gain wealth and success. Maybe you want to have a certain type of health. Maybe it's, uh, I just, I want to be a good person. I want to, I want to uh, help other people. Or I, I want to have a, a good family. I want to have a family and, and raise children and have good relationships. And there are things that motivate us, things that, they're so inherent to us, we probably don't even realize it's going on. So that is the reason for my life. 
That is what I'm going for. That is the direction that, I'm, whether it's success, family, recognition, morality, whatever it is, we must be driven by something. What's that thing for you? You need to recognize that when we do that, when we make something the goal of our life, it yields a certain power over us. If I want to get there, then I need to do this, and I need to behave like this in order to get there. And it can motivate us, it also can drive us to despair. And it can help us a little bit, but it can also crush us and deflate us and make us feel like a failure. That happens everywhere, all the time. Our city is full of it. Listen to this. This is someone who explains it better than, than I can explain it. The celebrated novelist David Foster Wallace. And he was someone, not a Christian, but he recognized what I'm, what I'm talking about here in, in human understanding and behavior. He says this, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. He's not a Christian. He's saying this. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. If you worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before, you before they finally plant you. Worship power, you'll end up feeling weak and afraid and you'll need ever more power over others to keep that fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart and you will end up feeling stupid and a fraud and always on the verge of being found out. That quotation comes from a book by Tim Keller and uh, he summarized it by saying, everyone needs love and meaning and satisfaction in their lives. And so, and so everyone's under the control of something. What are you worshiping? What is that thing for you? If we put it in the language of this series that we're going through, what are you looking to, to provide joy in your life? And I'm talking to all of us, whether we're Christian or not Christian, there are, there are things that we can think, if I just get that, if I just achieve that, if I just have that, that will be my source of joy and make everything in life okay and justify my existence. And the Apostle Paul says, if that's anything except Christ, it's rubbish. It's rubbish. And, and Paul would know because he, in this passage, unpacks the fact that in, in talking about human religion, talking about man-made justifying of oneself, he's like, I've been there. Verses 4 to 6, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. 
In other words, he's saying, human religion, completed it, mate. <laughs> I've, I've done it. And there's obviously the context of that is very different to our context, but we see it as well. We see, we're in a society, everyone's trying to achieve, you know, whether it's success or fame or wealth or comfort or whatever it is. And then the people who are at the top of those things who are getting, who have achieved fame and success and money and perfect family or whatever it is, um, we, we know that they're not fulfilled like we thought they would be. They're just as insecure as everyone else climbing the ladder in our own strength it doesn't get us where we hoped it would get us why are we doing it then it's this instinct it's this religious instinct that it needs to be satisfied in christ and that's what paul has found he says this as he goes on, indeed, I count everything else as loss. I thought it was a gain, but it's actually loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. What is he talking about? He's talking about a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with God. There's nothing better than that and we live in a world that is everyone's striving for meaning and it's so inherent we don't even notice it and what would the apostle Paul say to that he would say you know what I, I don't have to strive anymore I don't have to live like that I don't have to be enslaved by a goal that I've set for myself or society has set why well he would say this because there's a God in heaven We've seen this, we've already, already written this in earlier chapter of Philippians. There's a God in heaven who gave up the riches of heaven to be born amongst us, to live a perfect life for my sake, to die on the cross for me, to rise again to give me new life by the Spirit. And you know what, would say the Apostle Paul, he would say, and you know what, I, did, I didn't care. I didn't care. I didn't see it. I didn't realize it. I was so wrapped up in my human effort and my religious pursuit. I was persecuting this church. I was so striving after doing things in my church. I was persecuting the church. And what happened? Saul on the road to Damascus. Jesus appeared and in that moment he realized Jesus is real. He realized he is that Jesus is the son of God. And Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He must have been scared, does not even begin to describe what he must have been feeling in that moment. Jesus, he's real. He's the risen son of God. I've been persecuting him. The wrath of God is about to be poured out on me right now. And what does he find? This Jesus doesn't smite him. He forgives him. He forgives him. Not only does he forgive him, he said, you know what, Paul? I've actually died on the cross for your sin already. And not only am I going to spare you, I'm going to change your life around. And I'm going to commission you to share this message of grace this message of forgiveness that you have received from me personally 
I want you to share it to others. He commissions him. He gives him a new meaning, a new purpose. And it's all in the person of Christ and the grace that he has received. You see, this is the difference. Every other thing, goal, pursuit that we make God in our life and we try to climb the ladder to achieve it, those things will crush us. None of them are a savior. You see, that's the difference with Jesus. He's the one God who is a savior. You make wealth your God, that's, that's an unforgiving <laughs> God. It doesn't save you. It doesn't forgive you. Jesus does. Jesus does. He forgives. He restores. Other gods will take your life. Jesus gives his life because he gave his life for us. And we live in a world where everyone's striving for meaning in different ways. I don't know about you, what blows me away is that this Jesus, I look at the cross and I think, I mean something to him. <laughs> That's all the meaning. That's all the meaning that I need. I need. Can you say that? Do you know that? That's what Paul, the Apostle Paul here is saying. Just knowing Christ. He says that verse 11, any means I may attain the resurrection of the dead. I just want to know Jesus and I just want to be with him forever. That's all that really matters. Living for him, that's freedom. That's joy. Giving up on the worldly pursuit to receive Christ. You can try and be big in the eyes of the world, but what really matters is what you are to him. To know Christ, to be known by him. That's everything. I want to encourage you, come to the cross. Come to back to the cross today, to him. Give up on your own efforts, your own selfish pursuit of meaning and receive. He loves you. He's for you. He's forgiven you. And put you all your trust in him. Receive the joy and peace of knowing that Jesus loves you. And that's enough. Amen.